Welcome to the Power of Food podcast. We are so excited to bring you evidence-based nutrition information focusing on addressing the root cause for imbalance. Food has the power to help you achieve lifelong optimal health without the side effects of prescription medication. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or any other podcast platform. I am Stacy Seslowski, Functional Nutrition Registered Dietitian. And I am Leah Grace Barrick, Functional Nutritionist. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Power of Food podcast. Stacy and I have a special guest here today, Kimber Malden. Kimber is a nutrition consultant and women's health coach who takes a somatic and trauma-informed approach to women's health. She integrates somatic parts work attachment coaching, NARM principles, and applied neurology into her private nutrition work to offer women a well-rounded and deep set of tools for addressing their long-term self-healing needs. Through both her own personal healing work and the professional work she's done with hundreds of women over the past few years, she's come to view everything in health and behavior through the lens of nervous system functions. Nutritionally, she works with a growing niche often referred to as pro-metabolic or bioenergetic, which places great emphasis on the impact of stress in all forms on the function of our cells' ability to produce energy. As she continues to work on her own self-healing and self-regulation with transparency and humility, she dedicates her professional work to supporting as many women as possible in developing these crucial tools for better long-term self-regulation and self-healing. Welcome to the Power of Food podcast, Kimber. Thank you for being, thank you for um, having me here. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. We're very excited for this conversation. And I'd love to just start off for our listeners who don't know you at all. If you could just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this work. Yeah. Um, So like so many people working in the health, alternative health space, um, I got into this work through my own personal health challenges. So, you know, having a lot of mental and behavioral health issues when I was a teenager, eating disorder, um, you know, moving into more like extreme dieting in my teens and early 20s, and then struggling with my health as a result. So, you know, um, having hormone imbalances, gut issues, pretty much like all the health stuff that would fall through the cracks of Western medicine, I struggled with. And, um, And then I went into a holistic health school in my early 20s, and got to see kind of like the other side of that. Like I, you know, in my teens, I was highly medicated and diagnosed with a bunch of stuff. And that was kind of a dead end. And then when I moved towards the holistic world, like pretty far in the holistic world, there was a lot of like, you know, really ungrounded, a lot of vegan, a lot of really strict veganism and raw food pushed towards raw food. Um, and, and so I got to kind of experience the other end of that as well, which I also found to be very unhelpful for my health. Um, so eventually I went into nutrition and I at first thought I would become a dietitian. So I went to school and got a science degree. Um, and then at that point I had done so much work with my own health and my own nutrition that I definitely had a more holistic view that I took. And I found a lot of the dietetics programs that I was considering, um, transferring into to be less holistic than I would have liked. So I ended up going through a private nutrition school that was a bit that was more holistic as a result. And then, you know, have since then have accumulated more and more trainings. So I went through a functional program and then a health coaching program. Um, and then in the last year, especially have started to move more into trauma work and somatics. Yeah. 
So, and here I am. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting how it's like either conventional medicine, like teachings, like, you know, it, it's kind of a one size fits all. And, and in nutrition, it's so similar to even medicine. Like, it's like, if this is the, the condition, then you do this, you know, it's always like this one, like a protocol type thing, or it's this other extreme where you like, what you were saying, you know, cut out all animal protein and cut out and it, you know, nothing is clean. And it's like there, you know, it's so, it, it is, it's so interesting to have to like, to navigate those extremes and figure out like this middle ground that's actually appropriate for probably all, most people, you know, um, what, what sort of geared you into like, focusing mostly on women? Um, that was just like, a, I think, a natural progression of my business because as I began running my business more and growing it and working with more clients, they were predominantly women. I wouldn't have as many men approaching me. Um, and I just noticed that, well, obviously I'm a woman, so I can relate more to the woman's body. And, and, and I started to notice like how much research is based on studying men's bodies. Like that is... Um, an area where women are really not ser underserved in medicine and, and even in the holistic space too. a lot of like uh, exercise physiology research and nutrition epidemiology is, you know, male cultures and Petri dishes or male bodies. And, and so, um, and then I also just started to see so many recurring patterns in women that were stress related and, you know, to some extent related to the, the approach of trying to, force ourselves to behave in, in, in a way that I, I would say is more male centric. So like the, you know, the, the extreme diets, the fasting, the, even just like trying to get, you know, low body fat, chiseled abs. Um, I mean, this is across the board too. You see this in the way we work as women, like just needing to like hustle and compete with men. And so I found all of these things to be so fascinating. And I realized like from a business perspective, niching down is always a good idea. And then also it just like, it was an area where I realized I have a lot of passion. Um, and I personally, you know, have a long, you know, a deeper personal story with not necessarily feeling like a woman, you know, like being raised by a single father, just kind of even is in the holistic space, still kind of just taking my fertility for granted. Um, so it just became more interesting for me as like a modern woman to be like, how are we, we being failed as a sex and how can I support them? Yeah. Yeah. I totally, totally see that so often. And especially with the underrepresentation of women in these studies, especially like we talked before we started recording, like fasting and Stacey and I just recorded a whole podcast all about fasting and why for women it's not mm. smart to do actually. And it's rampant out there. You see it everywhere on magazines when you're checking out the grocery store and all these other places, all the influencers, that kind of thing as well. And so many women see men doing these things and they think, oh, I should, you know, do that too. And, or like my husband did it or my partner did it and they got great results and they try it and they get like the total opposite results. So, um, um, yeah, it's so important to differentiate men from women. Um, and you mentioned stress. So I'd love to talk about the nervous system. Why is the nervous system so important when we're talking about women, women's health, women's hormones, all of that? Yeah, well, um, the nervous system is important for both sexes. So that's just, you know, it's important to understand our operating systems, which is basically what it is. It's the, um, this, you know, it's very complex. There's multiple systems within the nervous system that it, contribute to the nervous system and it regulates our stress response and our stress response affects every single system in the body. 
It affects the way that we um, use nutrients. It affects the way that we manage our, our energy. So our, our circadian rhythms, our sleep-wake cycle, our ability to respond to life, all of that is regulated by the nervous system. And so um, as a sex, we are, again, this could, you know, to some extent, this is applied to both sexes, but as a sex, as females, we are more sensitive to stress because we have these unique sensitive reproductive functions. And so, um, so I, 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 my theory is, is that because we're more sensitive to stress, that's part of the reason why so many illnesses, chronic illnesses are affecting women at much higher rates than men. Um, because stress is an underlying factor in pretty much every medical condition and stress at a physiological level is the response to a demand for change, which is like, I think it's really hard for people to understand stress in the modern world and to kind of like really on a practical level approach stress management because it feels so vague and ubiquitous um, because there is good stress, right? Like we need stress just to function, to be alive. Like the act of cellular metab, the process of cellular metabolism does create stress, um, but we need to have enough resources. We need to have a system that feels like it's safe enough and it has enough resources to be able to meet the demands both externally in our life and our environments or relationships, but also internally. Like, and so what I have found and what's driven me towards moving more towards the nervous system stuff is that a large majority of women, myself included, have lived a lot of their lives with chronic dysregulation of the nervous system, which basically means like, usually the pattern that I see is we're upregulated too much of the time. So we have a sympathetic dominant response to life too much of the time. Our body doesn't fully know how to downregulate and rest when it should. And as a result of that, we're burning through our resources too fast. Our oxidation rate tends to be really fast, at least until it crashes and downregulates. But um, we lose our resources really quickly. We burn through our glucose really quickly. So we end up with blood sugar issues. And blood sugar stability is like a baseline survival need. And so that actually begets more stress because the body has to pull pull you know, glucose from its tissues to break down and be used as, you know, for blood sugar stability and for the brain functions. And so as a result of that, we activate more stress pathways. So instead of just stress being this like normal, important physiological function of day-to-day -day life of just like wear and tear and usage, it's become this like source of threat that the brain is living with all the time. And so that's something that I started to see just through working with so many women and again, paying attention to myself, starting to look at like ACE scores and, you know, trauma fact factoring in trauma. Um, and then running hair tissue mineral analysis, which is like one of my favorite functional labs on my clients and just seeing like how many people's oxidation rate is either like fast three or fast four, which is like, you know, you've got your foot on the gas pedal and on the brake at the same time. And you're just de seriously depleted. Or, you know, like 80 plus percent of women that I see are already downregulated, which means they're operating with a low metabolism um, in protective mode, essentially. And so to me, that's clear that like, well, first of all, this is a systemic problem. It's not just an individual problem, um, but we don't really understand stress and we don't really know how to combat, combat it. We just see like all of this information online that's like, meditate, take a bath. Um, 
you know, take a vacation. But like, I don't think most of us really know the practical ways to combat stress on the day to day. And nervous system regulation is, I, I would say, like a foundational piece to that. Yeah, I see it so much in patients where like even with patients who are having sort of digestive issues and all their like bloating and heartburn and all that, because I always explain like their body is in fight or flight and it can't be in rest and digest if it's in fight or flight. And so it really does affect so many aspects of nutrition and digestion. What are some applicable applicable ways um, that you think that nutrition ties to your um, nervous system? Um, man, there's so many. Um, so one would be just eating enough to stabilize blood sugar. So that's, I would say a big one. And that's one that I've seen missing a lot or overlooked in the nutrition world. Like I see a lot of people focusing on what to remove because food intolerances are so rampant. And so a lot of people are dealing with a lot of, you know, symptoms In applied neurology, we call it protective output. So it's basically just like interpretation of things we're taking in is a threat to the brain. So it's creating protective outputs as a result. Food intolerance would fall into that category. Um, so many of us have food intolerance and we have digestive issues and we have these responses that we end up eating less because we feel better, at least in the short term, we feel better. And then we often get that reinforced online. Like, here's why you shouldn't have dairy. Here's why you shouldn't have gluten. Here's why. You, I mean, and, and, and I'm not discounting like when I bring those topics up, I get I can get like pushback from women because it feels like I'm like devaluing their personal experience with these food intolerances, but they're super real. Um, it's just how we address them. We have to get your nutrients up. We have to get your energy up in order to counteract that stress response, to lower that stress response. So um, getting enough ca overall calories and getting enough like bioavailable nutrients from more bioavailable sources of protein, carbs, and fat is really important for that, again, blood sugar stability, lowering um, the stress response. And then also just like getting enough nutrients because like one thing I like to, you know, bring up and remind my clients around is that like nothing in the body is free. Like no function in the body is free, no production of hormones, neurotransmitters, enzymes, everything is produced out of something. And so if you don't have enough, like if you've been burning through your resources really quickly because of stress um, and your rates of loss are high, then your body is not going to have enough resources to produce the things that you need to function well and thus feel well. Um, and so nutrition is, you know, I think a lot of people think of nutrition as like, oh, this thing that health oriented people get into, um, it's kind of a luxury or a privilege. And I'm like, without nutrition, you like literally deteriorate. And so life gets really hard. Um, and so it's really hard to regulate. It's really hard to have good mental health, to like feel like, like you are safe in the world and even to heal your trauma. Like for people that are trying to heal big traumas, um, whether it's complex, relational or shock trauma, it's going to be really hard to do that if your system is constantly stressed out because it doesn't have enough um, resources to do its like basic functions well. Yeah, that's such a good point that like people who aren't eating enough quantity, but also not getting the nutrients they need, that is such a big source of stress in the body. And so often people just think of stress as like this external thing where it's like, I have my job and money stress and family stress and whatever it is, but there's so much stress that people are 
often unknowingly doing to themselves by either fasting, not eating enough overall, not regulating blood sugar, not getting those nutrients in. So Mm -hmm. that's great that you focus on that so much because it plays such a big role in women's health and mental health and all of that. And I don't know if you find this, but I find a lot like women are sometimes just terrified to even eat more because they think they're going to gain weight. They're going to lose quote control, lose all that. Do you see that a lot? Oh yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. um, It's very confronting. And so I've, and I've talked about this before, like um, just the act of saying eat more can ruffle a lot of feathers. Mm-hmm. Um, like the posts that I've had online where I did talk about the importance of eating more or like the damages of fasting, I got a lot of kind of aggressive responses, um, which was very telling. And again, I think part of it is like, you can get kind of addicted to an, like the, you can get kind of hooked on a nervous system state. And if you have a nervous system state, that's a little bit more on in flight, that's a little bit more like, um, needs to move fast, needs to feel a little bit lighter um, than having someone say like, hey, you need to slow down, create some like more grounding, feel more heavier, um, put more in your body. Like that can be very threatening and confronting. Um, and then also just the fact that like so many of us have variations of an eating disorder or just kind of like disorder, body dysmorphia. I mean, it's so, so common. And so that comes with a certain nervous system frequency and relationship to food and relationship to feeling full. And so, um, there's often, I, you know, often have to work with my clients around like this kind of awkward stage where they have to increase their calories and their food intake in order to feel better and like get their metabolism up. But, but there's a period where the body is unsure how to deal with more food. So they actually can feel more uncomfortable Um, They can have some digestive issues. They can get more like protective output. So like skin issues as a result of just feeding themselves more um, because the body really will become more and more intolerant to foods the less we eat. And it becomes this like vicious cycle where we eat less, our stress hormones go up to make up for the loss in energy. We have less of an appetite, so we eat less. And that becomes this like vicious cycle where our digestion goes down, um, hormones go down. So um, it's a process, you know, and it is one of those things where like, yes, a lot of people will have a conscious eating disorder where they're actually intentionally depriving themselves of food. But like for a lot of us, it's unconscious. And I have this pattern too. Like after years of working with my health, like if I get stressed, my appetite goes down and then I have to remind myself to eat. Like I actually have to like, this is why I'll have clients like actually eat by the clock as opposed to just their signals because they have to get their signals back. Um, so it's a process, you know, and it can be very confronting for sure. Yeah. And it's been like ingrained in everybody's minds that, you know, eat less, exercise more, and that's how you lose weight. And, you know, and losing weight is always better, you know, and it's like changing that mindset is, 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 is an uphill battle. Um, you know, and especially patients will come and, and say, well, I've already, you know, skipped breakfast for all these years. I don't even get hungry anymore. It's like, and that feels good to me. I know. And just like you said, it's a process and we have to retrain the body to actually get hungry. That's a better thing to be hungry and to not be able to skip lunch and not eat until three o'clock in the afternoon. That's actually less healthy. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a conversation that um, is not always comfortable, you know? No. Yeah. 
and and the and the breakfast one is a big one. I would say that's one of the biggest ones um, that I you know as far as like times when people don't want to eat or they're used to not eating is just waking up and having like black coffee in the morning. That's a really really common one that I have. Um, I try to get everyone in my life actually. Like if I'm dating someone, I'm like don't do that. <laughs> um, but just because usually, I mean, for the most part, like someone may not have the metabolism to be able to go that long stretch of time without again, the stress kicking in to fuel the systems in the body because they've run out of resources. And so once you understand energy metabolism and just like, you know, the basics of how stress works physiologically, it starts to make less sense to do that. But on the surface, we're sold on it for sure. Like, you know, I, I used to be sold on it, like in the carnivore keto space, they're like, one of their selling points is you're less hungry. So you have to focus less on food. And now I'm like, so what does that mean for the body? Like, where does the resources it need? Like, is it coming from thin air? Like, you just need less? No, you don't just need less. You're just, you know, you're running on stress hormones. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have these women who are, or men too, but although maybe for men, it isn't as terrible, um, but who are working out fasted in the morning. And I'm just like, oh gosh. Yeah. Fasted, fasted with a cup of coffee. Right. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, that's just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Low hormones. Yeah. And you mentioned Kimber, or Kimber, you mentioned coffee, rather. I'm curious. So I see a lot of women, of course, like having coffee first thing in the morning and kind of transitioning them to either coffee with breakfast or after breakfast. But I've been learning a lot more about coffee recently as an avid coffee drinker myself for a long time, just about the relationship between coffee and stress. And I'm curious if you recommend to your clients to not drink coffee or, I mean, I'm sure cut down on coffee, but I'm just curious how, how you feel about that in your practice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So interestingly enough, a lot of my clients naturally opt out of coffee. Um, because they're so stressed, they're dealing with like issues that have not been resolved. And so, and I would actually put myself into that camp as well. Like I love coffee and I still have it sometimes, but I've gotten to a place where I go, I'll go weeks without it, um, because of my own personal nervous system patterns. And so I think it really depends on the person. Um, coffee is definitely one of those things that gets camped, put into the camp of bad or good a lot. Uh, put into the bad category, I think mostly just because of its its habit forming properties and the fact that it does speed up metabolism. Um, and so that's something that's an interesting thing that like a lot of people don't understand is like coffee can be pro metabolic in that sense. It can be supportive, metabolically supportive to the uh, thyroid, to the liver. Um, so organs that are really really crucial for metabolic processes for metabolic functions, but it because it speeds up metabolism, if you don't have a great stress, if your stress tolerance is really low um, and you don't have resources to pull from, increasing metabolic rate is going to be a problem. So this is why you say like, you know, you get your clients to have coffee with breakfast or after breakfast. Like that alone is a big step forward for a lot of people um, because what we're doing, what a lot of people don't realize coffee is doing is it is asking for more from your cells. So it's increasing up the rate at which the cells are functioning throughout the entire body. And that can be helpful, right? Like it can increase detoxification, it gets the bowels moving, it can increase liver liver functions, um, increases brain functions. But again, like if you're running on empty, if you already have blood sugar issues or you, you're like chronically stu- stuck in a flight state, then that's going to exasperate that for sure. I don't, for my clients who do have coffee, I, 
I, I don't really tell clients to stop anything. Like that's not my approach. Um, especially when it comes to coffee, a lot of people have a strong psycho neuro, like neurobiological response to coffee. That isn't just about the energy it gives them. It's about the associations. It's about feeling like they have that there when they have to face the world in this very, very demanding culture and they need something to leave them feeling emotionally and psychologically equipped. Um, it's also has some like, you know, antidepressant effects on people for people who have low mood or are dealing with low, like low metabolism since so many people are. So I usually wouldn't say like, don't drink coffee, but we do. One of the first things I have my clients do is they stop drinking black coffee on an empty stomach, like hands down. That's just something that I require. Um, and then usually we'll, you know, have it after breakfast, if at all. And um, usually with like, you know, some sugar, again, things that we're not taught. Like I was, I was taught that black coffee is the best because you put sugar in the coffee and that's sugar's bad. And so you're just like messing with your blood sugar by doing that. Um, but once you understand that coffee is again, like demanding more from the cell. So your oxidation rate up, goes up, you need to give your cells more at the same time. So actually putting sugar, some protein powder or something, some milk in your coffee is going to give the cell more to work with while you demand more of it. So it's actually a smarter idea. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like my approach is just, and again, like if I'm looking at someone who has, she's doing a lot of other stuff, like her sleep cycles fine. She's, you know, eating consistently coffee may not have the same effect on her, but for clients where they're just really struggling with insomnia, they're dealing with like lots of dysregulation and like fight or flight. Um, I try to get them towards less stimulants until their system gets more stabilized. That's that a long a answer. Great explanation though. Really, yeah. really um, appreciated that. Um, so talking about that nervous system, what are some, um, you know, steps that you recommend to women to start or, you know, or to people in general to start to rebalance their nervous system and, you know, to, to feel better? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So again, the foundational ones would be with, you know, with food would be just to eat consistently. So we eat every three, every three to five hours, um, eat within an hour of waking up. You want to have that blood sugar stability piece down. So if you're dealing with unstable blood sugar, it's going to be harder to regulate. Uh, make sure you're getting, you know, all your nutrients in. So look at your mineral status, get your minerals up. Um, the nervous system and our minerals are like deeply intertwined. And so if you're dealing with a lot of low dysregulated minerals, then you're going to have a harder time managing your stress response. Um, and then start like what I call mapping your nervous system. So like looking at what states you tend to veer into. And this is something you may need some more like, you know, psycho neurological education around this, but we have this, we have all of these responses, nervous system responses to life that are adaptive. And so they probably served us at some point, but you need to kind of understand and assess where your baseline's at. Um, like, do you crash and do you freeze? Do you go into a freeze response often? Do you tend to collapse and disassociate often? Are you in like an upregulated um, fight or flight response a lot of the time? I do think like seeking out information, which there's a lot online, but like trying to figure out where your nervous system tends to veer, um, doing a hair tissue mineral test, if someone has the resources to do that can be really helpful because you can look at your oxidation rate and that can give you an idea around your, you know, shorter term and longer term 
nervous system patterns. Um, and then starting to kind of view all of your symptoms, behaviors, experiences through the lens of the nervous system, because it really does set the tone that we experience life in. It, you know, contributes to the thought patterns that we tend to rely on around like what we believe and, you know, how we tend to respond to life. Um, and I think a perspective that has really helped me in my applied neurology is just understanding that humans, we work in um, loops. So we take in what is called inputs. So neural, uh, cognitive inputs and sensory inputs, the brain takes those in, it interprets them. And then based on the interpretation, it gives us our outputs. Outputs is like perspective, emotions, symptoms, protective outputs would be all the things we experience that are disrupting us. They're the brain's attempt to try to protect us from something. And so um, protective outputs are a a response to a sense of threat. So we're either going to be responding to um, something externally in our environment or we're responding to something internally. And so we have to figure out, like, first of all, we just have to change the, the inputs. This culture is really obsessed with focusing on the outputs and trying to address our health at the level of the outputs. But to really make a difference in our health, from the nervous system perspective, you have to address inputs. And then you have to address the interpretation of your inputs. Because what I have found with myself and a lot of my health-oriented clients who have already been working on their health for years, their interpretations of things internally is often a source of their health issues. So like their brain is sensing threat so much of the time that the foods they eat are a threat to the brain. The um, Their perspectives on things are a threat to the brain. The way they work out is a threat to the brain. Even just like potentially their relationships is a threat to the brain. So like you have to actually, this is what I learned in applied neurology, is you have to start looking at what you're subjecting yourself to. Like what what is the, what are the environments, the relationships, the food choices, all the things you take in consciously as an adult. And then what might your brain be reacting to as a threat um, that you're not aware of, you know, like, are you working out really hard? You're going and running like a mile a day or something. And the brain's like, I don't, this is stressful. To, I, we're running from a tiger right now. Right. Like you might think you're doing the right thing, but you, your brain might be interpreting that exercise choice as a threat. So those are all nervous system things. Like you actually have to understand that the brain regulates every single thing in the body. And that if you're struggling with your health, you're probably dealing with a heightened sense of threat from the brain. Yeah, it is just so important to look at everything you're doing from the nervous system. I I totally agree with that. And I also see so many women like doing these things that, you know, again, everyone else told them is healthy and good for them and it's going to make them feel good and lose weight and all the things they want. And it's just putting them in that chronic state of stress. So doing that, like you were talking about, like rewiring at first, understanding what's negatively contributing, even though it might, you know, on the surface look healthy and then also rewiring themselves so that when they eat certain foods and that kind of thing, it's not producing that stress response. So it's super interesting. Um, I would love for you to touch a little bit just on somatics and like how somatics tie in with nutrition, why it's important, a little bit about kind of your somatic coaching um, and its role in healing. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so somatic, somatic means like of the body. So um, in, you know, the world of coaching and the world of somatics, there's the term bottom up, and then there's the terms top down. 
So top-down is what most of us are familiar with. It's like what we're doing right now. It's what most coaching therapy, mindfulness practices. That basically means we're using upper corticoid functions, like co certain cognitive faculties to, to drop down into the body, to examine things, to share ideas, to narrate our experience. Um, that's where I think this culture is most catering to. And it's like what most of us are familiar with. Bottom up is using, going directly into the nervous system to change, to work with and change the nervous system for the sake of the brain. So we're actually going up, we're, we're sending signals back to the brain that we're safe, or we're working on the signals being sent to the brain versus using the brain to send signals to the body, if that makes sense. Um, so within my coaching, I've taken several different training programs and, um, the way I do, I do both, I do bottom up and top down. And the way I've started to integrate it with clients is just once we've established a sense of safety, because you really do have to trust your practitioner and practitioner in order to drop down. A lot of us aren't embodied. We're in our heads a lot more than we realize. And so being able to like slow everything down and drop down into our body is it involves a lot of attunement, a lot of safety. Um, and so I do it at a pace that each individual client is uh, okay with. And um, once we've established, you know, some information, some protocols, I've gotten familiar with their health history, um, you know, with their potential like traumas and stuff that I can kind of get an idea as to, like how to take it, how to, how to pace it. Um, but it tends to involve like using breath work, using just basic body awareness. So in my NARM training, which stands for Neuroeffective Relational Model, it's a specific form of both top-down and bottom-up coaching for complex developmental trauma. Um, we have this uh, term called the 50-50, which is basically aiming to, or looking to aim 50% of your focus internally and 50% out externally. Um, because a lot of people, especially people with complex trauma, tend to get too internal or too external. Like we either we can disassociate or we can, you know, become like empaths and take on way too much. Um, so keeping that like 50-50 rule or approach has been really supportive to me and my clients because we're consistently checking in with ourselves. How do I feel? Like where is my body right now? Um, prioritizing movement, like, you know, shaking, um, um, kind of like touching your, bringing yourself back into your body is a core part of this approach because again, so many of us from years of habituation spend a lot more time in our upper, you know, in specific parts of our brain that, um, we're not really able to see where the stress is. Like we're not able to recognize in real time, like what's happening in our body that's going to be contributing to all the physiological stuff that we're struggling with. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. It, and it's such, it's crucially important because I, there are so many like real physical pains that people are experiencing and they have like, it's, it's very hard to understand how much that is connected to previous traumas that they have experienced. And, you know, if a certain experience is reminding you of that trauma that you had all those years ago, then you're going to feel this horrible pain in your knee or, you know, just something that is somewhat related to that, let's say, 
uh, to an injury that you've had. And even though it's real pain, and I'm not saying that that pain isn't there, but it's so deeply connected to traumas that they have experienced and the way that their brain is wired to feel pain. Yeah, totally. And, and I think it can feel really abstract for a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the things that I loved about my applied neurology program is that uh, it's just so there's, there's scientific explanations for all of it, right? Like we have something called neurotag. So the brain tags experiences, especially like ones with heightened sense of threat or pain or, you know, even positive emotions. Um, and it holds on to them. And so we can have emotional flashbacks. We can have, um, you know, symptoms come up in certain parts of the body in response to those fairly unconscious neurotags. Um, and the brain works on prediction, like 100% of the time it's, it, interprets, like I was saying that there's the inputs and there's, there's the interpretation, it makes its interpretations based on prediction of what's happened before. So it'll pull from a specific neurotag and be like, oh, we've experienced this before. It caused this. Like, let's go back into that. Um, and so a lot of us don't know that, know that because we don't spend very much time in our bodies. It's not, our bodies are not safe. For a lot of people, being embodied is not safe. So that's also something that I've started to realize through working with somatics is this kind of like general rule that everyone should meditate, you know, that like meditation is always helpful for people all the time because meditation is very, is often a top down approach. And a lot of people feel very unsafe in their bodies and they have a lot of, um, uh, interoception is like, you know, the sense of the experience of all the things you have inside. So the sensations, emotions, a lot of people have a heightened sense of threat to interoceptive signals. So there's the, the way they feel when they actively focus on their breath, the way they feel when they actively focus in on their digestion, especially close your eyes to where that's all you have. That's a, could be a big source of threat for people. So just giving them these kind of like general um, practices to embody can actually be very, very stressful for people if they don't know where the threat's coming from or like they're not aware of their ACE score, which I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with those or have talked about those or, you know, no. Um, it stands for adverse child experience. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Yeah. And so there's, you know, like the large ACE score that was done or the large right. uh, study that was done was one of the things that really put complex trauma on the map because mm -hmm. it, correlates all of these different experiences as an adult with, you know, childhood, adverse childhood experiences. So like the more you have, the higher ACE score you have in theory, I mean, it's, you know, it's lacking nuance for sure, but in theory, and oftentimes true, like the more adverse experiences you have, the higher likelihood you're going to have of, of uh, addiction, um, relational stress and chronic illness. And um, part of that is simply because when you have an adverse experience when you're younger and you're still developing, that shapes your nervous system function, right? So then you take that nervous system into your adult life. And over time, that stress and that, you know, loss of nutrients and it compounds and then it turns into some chronic illness. So I think it is really helpful to know what your ACE score is and, you know, specific ACE scores that might affect your ability to embody. Totally. Yeah. yeah. When you were talking, it just reminded me of that saying, I know it's circulating on Instagram, but it's something along the lines of like the new success is how calm your nervous system is, which I just love. Cause I'm like, yeah. yes. Like, can we all just yeah. please scream that? Because it's, it's so true. It all comes down to your nervous system. So amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that. 
Stacey and I would love to know what three main takeaways our listeners can have from you after today's super information-packed podcast. Mm, Three takeaways. Um, Yeah, so one, obviously, as I've already alluded, get in touch with your nervous system. Like, that's a really important one. Like, start taking it seriously. Um, Spend time every day just, like, tuning into how you feel, figuring out some safe access points for you. Um, that are, again, spe- specifically tailored to you. So that would be one. Like everywhere you go, your nervous system will follow and it's taking notes. So um, taking it seriously and caring for it is essential. Uh, second would be women are different than men and we need to embrace that. And that can be a very like feminist approach too. Like we don't have to act like men and eat like men and work out like men and um, to be empowered in this culture. I think it's very fe- a very feminist approach to treat ourselves, our biological sex differently. Um, and then third would be, it's really important to eat enough. Like that one is, you know, that's, I think, yeah, uh, invaluable. And it's also often missing in the information s- space online. So making sure you're getting enough bioavailable nutrients and asking where your energy is coming from. Because a lot of people think a salad is a meal. They think broccoli is a carb. And we need to understand that like your body and your brain runs off of glucose, regardless of what like you know, the keto zealots say, like your body, your, if, if we're working with your brain sense of threat, we have to work with its glucose resources and you're, you need enough glucose and that comes from carbs. So salad's not a carb, uh, broccoli's not a carb. You have to figure out where your energy is coming from and get it at every meal. That is excellent advice. (laughs) We just need more women advocates like you saying these things, screaming these things, and hopefully it will sink in over time. Um, But Kimber, would you like to share with people where they can find you, maybe some of the services that you provide? Um, Yeah, sure. So you can find me as far as social media. I can be pretty bad, but Instagram is where I tend to hang out. Um, so Kimber Malden, at Kimber Malden, um, K-Y-M-B-E-R-M-A-U-L-D-E-N. You can also find me on my website, KimberMalden.com, um, same spelling. And um, and yeah, you know, I work privately with clients. So I see private clients with who need nutrition support as well as the somatic trauma relational support. I'm starting to ramp up my applied neurology, which is I'm noticing not really something that many people know about or offer. It's pretty much mostly been applied within the like high-end athletic space and people with pain disorders. So it's incredibly useful to understand it and to use it, you know, to reconnect the brain to the body for the sake of more efficient embodiment. Um, So those are things I offer in my private coaching. And then I have a women's health course as well. That's kind of like a low price uh, option for people who can, who want to work at their own pace. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today. This information is so valuable. I'm really excited for our listeners to hear all this information. Um, Thank you, everyone. It's nice to see you and see you next time. See ya. Thank you. You got it. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode helpful, we'd love if you left a rating and review and shared it with someone else who would find it helpful. You can find more information about Leah at gracefunctionalnutrition.com and get in touch with her through email at leah at gracefunctionalnutrition.com or on Instagram at gracefunctionalnutrition. To find more information about Stacy, you can find her at healfromfood.com email her at stacy at healfromfood or on social media at healfromfood. See you next time.